Morning, everybody. Happy fall to you. Grab your message notes, please, and um, open. keep your Bibles open. Let me pray for us. Father, we've uh, sung of your character, and I thank you for that, and thank you for the chance we have now to dig into your word. Uh, Jesus, would you emerge from this story, from the pages of Scripture, as if we were walking through Jericho ourselves and witnessing it firsthand. We confess, Lord, as your people, we don't love like we should. Each one of us falls short. We're not loving with your love. So we need your Holy Spirit to stir in us, uh, to remove the blinders from our eyes and the labels from our lips, to remove the hardness in our heart and the judgmental attitudes we have towards your creation, towards each other, and that you would allow us to love everyone always. I know this is audacious, even impossible, but that's why we're asking you, because you're the God of the impossible. So guide us now, we pray in Christ's name. Everyone said? Amen. Awesome. So you know the character of God is to prioritize the relentless search to find and restore lost people. That's his character. To put at a priority the relentless search, looking for, discovering, and restoring lost people. And that's really clear in verse 10 that Stephen read today. Let's look at it again. Jesus said, as Zacchaeus was turned and transformed, we'll get to that, Jesus said, in essence, this is the whole reason I came. This is why I unzipped eternity and stepped into time for people like him. Because I am on a search. Heaven is always on a search for lost people to turning them into found. Now notice, in the original language, you don't notice, but in the original language, it doesn't have the word the before lost. It literally says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save lost. So Jesus obviously is looking for lost people, but I want to encourage you, he's also looking to restore what is lost, lost systems, broken systems, lost relationships, broken relationships. He's here to restore your lost relationship with yourself and your identity, your lost relationships at work. He's here to restore the way we uh, have blown it in our stewardship of creation. It's, It's massively lost. Anything that's lost, God is about restoration. And it just makes sense that because lost people matter to God, they should matter to us, right? Jesus calls people lost because he wants to find them. Do I have everyone's attention? If he didn't care about lost people, he wouldn't call them lost. He'd call them forgotten. The Son of Man didn't come because the Son of for forgotten, because he doesn't forget about people. They're lost. And if you're here and you don't know Christ and you're put off by that word lost, please don't be. It's actually a, a compliment. If you didn't matter to God, you'd be forgotten, not lost. God calls people lost because people matter to him because he's searching for every single human being, longing for them to come to their senses, to turn to him, and to enter into a forever relationship with him. That's called the good news, the gospel. And the heart of God for PCC, and it's been for 66 years, is that we would prioritize what God does. Just do a gut check with me. Do you prioritize lost people the way God does? 
Do they matter to you? Do they enter into your schedule? When you come across people like that, is your value system the same as Jesus himself has? I'm not asking this about you, but if the Spirit of God is in you, they should matter to us too. The heart of God for our church is that we would let God love and find lost people through us. In a phrase, that we would love everyone. Always. Yeah, I've been wrestling with this for about six months and I've been searching the scriptures and saying, okay, God, who have you given me permission not to love? Search yourself. I don't think you'll find anybody. I don't think you'll find anybody, no matter what their behavior, no matter what their uh, morals, no matter what their political views, that we are permitted not to love in scripture. We're to love everyone always. And the church for 2,000 years has been built on this ethic. The only reason we are so global as the church, the only reason that we are the most persecuted people group in the world today, that the people who are being killed more than any other people group and martyred that's killed and sent to prison and persecuted is because the Christians are loving everyone, not just the safe people. They're crossing gender borders. They're crossing uh, political borders. They're crossing uh, religious borders. They're going to hard, dark, evil places with love. Just like Jesus did. And he was crucified for it. Why do we think we can love just some people sometimes and make a difference for the Savior? Why do we think that is the Savior's ethic? I know you feel these things, and all this will come out in the next three weeks. Who are we given permission not to love? What does it mean for the Spirit of God to love through me, even when I can't love in my own strength? That's where we go to Luke 19. Let's look at the story again. Jesus entered Jericho and was just passing through. A man was there. By the way, in this whole story, Zacchaeus didn't know he was passing through to Jerusalem. Zacchaeus didn't know he's never coming back. Zacchaeus took a hold of the moment and the offer and responded to Jesus. So important. Some of you will be convicted today, uh, and today is your moment. Take a hold of it. You don't know when these moments come around again. He's passing through to his death, but Zacchaeus didn't know that. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was because he was short and he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Let's build out Zacchaeus and find out why he's so hard to love. Most of you know something of this, but I'll just make sure we're all on common ground. Zacchaeus was not a good man. In fact, he was a downright despicable man. Zacchaeus was a wee little disgusting man. Okay, everybody? Uh, look at this. He was well known, but he was not well liked. He was very rich, but he wasn't generous. He was feared by people, but he wasn't known by people. But underneath all of that was something that we see in the scripture that Jesus saw that no one else saw, something that you can have if you're a follower of Christ through the Holy Spirit, a spiritual lens, an insight, insight into people's hearts, behind the labels, behind the behavior, behind the language. What do we know about him? He was desperate. That's why he ran. That's why he climbed. You need to know that thing, the thing about lost people is they have these momentary windows when they wonder, what would it like to be found? There's these momentary windows in a lost person where uh, humility reigns and hope 
is birthed where they think, I wonder if that could be me. I wonder if I'd qualify for that kind of love. I speak from experience of seven weeks before I was a follower of Christ, gathering with people like you, amazing people, knowing that I I did not qualify morally to be loved by God, but just wondering as I sat in the room and hearing you sing like you did today, just wondering, is there hope for me? Or have I gone too far morally? And I've just transgressed. God, could you do that for me? That's what's going on in this story. So let me just build it out even deeper. Turn to page two and let's find this profile and get a glimpse into the heart, uh, not of every lost person, but this is very common with lost people. Here's the first. He's a chief tax collector. In other words, it says in your notes he was a sinner. He was extremely immoral. Being a chief tax collector, he's basically running a Ponzi scheme for the Roman government. Rome had overtaken Israel, and they had problems when they come and conquer a country with collecting taxes from their people because their people would evade. The, this never happens today, by the way. The people would evade the taxes by paying for things under the table. Do you ever know about that today? So what they needed was a national citizen who would sell out his family and sell out his neighborhood and sell out his countrymen for the Roman government. These people were hated. Rome didn't care how much tax collectors collected as long as they got their share. And then they would give them Roman soldiers to work for them just to have some power behind their extortion. So Zacchaeus was a traitor who in the eyes of his people betrayed his nation, betrayed his God, betrayed his family. He was a sellout. And that's where he got his money. Can you imagine a more despicable person? As a matter of fact, as you see in this story, when the people are questioning why Jesus is going to him, do you know no less than eight times the religious people in the Gospels said this phrase, why does this teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus loved all people, including these. They were so immoral, they didn't even get the classification of sinner. They weren't even good enough to be called a sinner. They had their own classification, tax collectors, then sinners, okay? Do you get that? So he was immoral. Secondly, he was prideful. And I don't always associate wealth with pride, but in this case, that's the case. And I want you to sit in this because I'm gonna bring this to us. With wealth came everything he needed. Why would Zacchaeus pray? He just buy what he needs. And look what it says, uh, the chapter earlier in your notes, Luke 18, 24, with another wealthy person. And the way Luke arranges his gospel, this is the third encounter with a wealthy person. The first two walked away from Jesus. Zacchaeus doesn't. But look at the second one, what he says in Luke 18, 24. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Man, we should hold that as weight because men and women, my sisters and brothers... We're the rich. We're the rich. By nature, the fact that this morning I opened my closet door and I had 10 shirts or more to pick from, that makes me rich. And I had 10 pants or more to pick from. By nature, the fact that I have five belts in my closet, all different colors, to match my leather shoes, of which I have six or seven pairs, Then I open my sock drawer and I've got like 20 pairs of socks. I won't tell you what's in my underwear drawer. (laughs) Friends, we're rich, we're rich. 
And so we should hold this with weight. Jesus isn't down on rich people who are supported by him. But what he is saying is be careful, in Zacchaeus' case, his wealth got in the way of his God. Then he was short. Now he had challenging life circumstances. The word of God is amazing, men and women. Nothing in it is by chance. Every detail in this story is on purpose. So he may have caused, it may have caused him bitterness and anger towards God. He stood tall in some circles, but in culture, he was short. And so many interactions I have with uh, lost people, and when I talk about the love of God, I can't tell you how many times people stop me and go, you really love, God loves me? If God loves me, why did my wife walk out on me? If God loves me, why did I get that diagnosis? If God loves me, why does my kid... And they look at a life circumstance and point that towards the love of God. That's what Zacchaeus may have been doing too. And it may have been a barrier that kept him lost. Lastly, he couldn't see over the crowd. This is very convicting. Why couldn't he see over the crowd? It wasn't just his height. It wasn't his height at all. Religious people got in the way. He didn't get to the front because people wouldn't let him through. Can you imagine this little guy and they're elbowing him? They're going together. I, I, I picture a merge lane. You want to see the worst of humanity? Merge lane. Especially one with a long line of cars and someone zooms to the front. This happens often on Whipple. You know, it's a, it's a turn lane only and they'll be lined up and that's our exit. And someone will zoom and then just try to cut in. And oh my gosh, it's the worst. And what's their crime? Making you wait for maybe five more seconds so they can merge in. That's what Zacchaeus was trying to do, except in this case, it was the religious people who were opaque. He couldn't get around them, and he couldn't see Jesus through them because their behavior betrayed the nature of Jesus. I pray more than anything as a church and for my own life, I just have to look in the mirror that I would not be opaque when people look through me to a loving God. See, the crowd saw what most of us see when we look at people. We see behavior, we attach a label, justified or not, and then we judge. It's the human condition, right? It's our knee-jerk response. That's what the crowd saw. But here's my question as we turn into this story. What did Jesus see? What did Jesus see? He saw his heart. What did Jesus see in you before you encountered him? He saw through the behavior, through the offensive language, through the way you treat people, through the way you treat him. And he saw in you the image of God, what uh, theologians call the imago Dei, the image of God, that you bear his image. And Jesus saw what you could be in him. This Jesus vision has expanded the church borders throughout history, throughout history. Let's go to verse five. When Jesus reached, now I'm gonna have you go really slow and I hope you have pens out and write in your Bibles, okay? He reached the spot, circle that word, the spot. What spot? The spot of divine appointment. Sit in these words, okay? The spot where our brokenness and God's love collide. The spot where that prayer on earth as it is in heaven is answered. Where repentance reigns, humility reigns, and people turn to a savior and forgiveness takes place. 
where Jesus becomes real. It's amazing. Where people turn from trying to trusting Jesus. That's the spot where hope rises, where repentance reigns, where lost are found. The spot. Got any spots in your world? Do you know this campus, all 14.8 acres, is just one one one-thousandth of the acreage of all of Rebid City? Do you think the only spot that God has in Rebid City is in one one one-thousandth of the acreage? Don't you think the other 99% God has some spots? God has spots in your neighborhood. God has spots, we're banking everything, has spots in the public schools all over this place. God has spots in your cubicle. God has spots when you're driving and someone merges in front of you and you don't give them the international peace sign, but you bless them in Jesus' name. God has spots. Frankly, I'll be honest with you, um, I can't quantify it, but so many of my spots happen when I'm not on payroll. So many spots happen when I am, but I had a spot yesterday in the lumber aisle of Home Depot. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it doesn't get any better than this. Here I am to do a chore, and God says, here's a spot. Here's a divine appointment. If you open yourself, spots will happen all around. And we're banking this year like never before you're going to do that. What did he do when he reached the spot? He looked up, and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay. Circle the word stay. I don't know who said or where we learned. I I always believed Jesus had a meal with Zacchaeus. It's not in the text. That word stay, meno, means to remain. What it means, what Jesus is asking, and this is scandalous, we'll build it out. Jesus is saying, I want to have a slumber party with you. (laughs) I don't want just a meal. I want to come to your house. I want a tour of your house. I want to sleep in a different bedroom. I want to wake up and have breakfast with you. I want to do life for you for some time. Come on, Zacchaeus. Let's go hang out together. The word meno means prolonged stay. This is the only time Jesus ever invited himself into someone's home. And by doing so, are you ready? Remember we built out who Zacchaeus was? Despicable wee little man. You know what Jesus was saying? This is going to... Get ready for your response cards because you're going to write me letters. Zacchaeus, I accept you just as you are. What? You said he was immoral. He was. You said he was disgusting. He was. How can Jesus accept that? Don't mistake acceptance for endorsement. Jesus accepts Zacchaeus just as he was because, are you ready? Jesus loves you as you are right now. In all of your sin, in all of your brokenness, in all of your blow-its, not the you you think you should be. Jesus doesn't love that holy person you think you should be. He loves you just as you are. With everything you know that you did last night, or last week, or last month, you'll never become the person God wants you to be until you come to that spot where you realize Jesus loves me just as I am, not as I should be. And when I repent and turn at that point and let him love me as I am, that's how I become who I should be and who God wants me to be. So look at this, Zacchaeus, 
I want to stay at your house today. And what happened? He came down at once. It's a picture of salvation. He turned from himself. He turned to Jesus. We'll see that. And he welcomed him gladly. By the way, one other point. Jesus calls him by name. He didn't look in the tree and say, hey, sell out. (laughs) Zacchaeus, you make me sick. And I'm stopping at this tree to tell you I'm about to die for the sins of the world, but you're going to hell. And I want everyone to know that. You know, I've seen uh, a few people in my lifetime come to Christ. I've never had anyone say to me after they prayed with me and were crying or whatever, you know, I got to tell you what led me to Christ. It was your condemnation. You were so judgmental of me. I thought, wow, I want to serve that God. (laughs) Look, I have convictions about eternity. It's why we got to love everyone always because eternity is forever. Heaven is that good, and men and women, hell is that bad. And the bridge between now and eternity, humanly speaking, the Spirit of God's got to do his work. Evangelism is all on God. But the bridge between, humanly speaking, between now and eternity and people's eternal destiny for us is the gospel, and we'll talk about that at the end of the message, and the way we love people. The way we love people. It's why we've got to love everyone always. Because forever is forever. And if we can be used by God to change someone's forever, it's worth it. So he calls him Zacchaeus. Your name is your identity. Every detail is important in this story. Do you know what Gary means, by the way? I was studying this. Gary, my name? You know what it means? Mighty with the sword. My parents didn't know that when they named me, but God did. That was prophetic over my life, that one day I'd handle the sword of the spirit, the word of God. You know what Zacchaeus means? You ready? It means clean, innocent, righteous one. The derivative of Zechariah. <laughs> Do you see the irony in the story? It's, it's like I was telling our staff. It's like, um, it's like Don Quixote with Dulcinea. When everyone else saw her as a prostitute in the town, uh, I'll say prostitute, Don Quixote saw her as the princess. When everyone else sees your labels and your blow-its and your behaviors, especially when you do, Jesus looks at you and says, Mm-mm, you bear my image. You repent and turn to me. And let me tell you who you can become. Is there any better use of our one and only life than to be a conduit of that for lost people? I don't think so. So, he goes to the house. And I need to tell you, Jesus is still calling people by name today. He's still longing for people to be in a relationship. Don't you know that? I know you do. He longs for everyone we lay eyes on to be in a relationship. The scriptures are very clear. God takes no delight in the death of the wicked. No delight. When Hitler died, no delight. Uh, Any wicked person, no delight in God's eyes. He longs for people to be in a relationship with him. And this whole series is designed for that. Well, it started in a tree. It doesn't end there. Look at this. Verse 7 to 10. All the people saw this. Now we turn to the religious people and they began to mutter. They didn't talk to Zacchaeus. They talked around Zacchaeus. They didn't talk to Jesus. They talked around Jesus. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Now they've turned their hostility towards Zacchaeus to Jesus. Grumblers do that. They don't bother learning names. They don't use the name Zacchaeus. It's easier to slap a label. 
When you're not in relationship with someone, slap a label on them. That's easy to do. Or it becomes an issue. But when you know people, they're no longer an issue. They're a real human being. They bear God's image. And maybe God will use your relationship with them to change whatever's in their life that's causing the issue. So it goes on. Down to verse 8. And by the way, Jesus coming, saying, I want to stay at your house. I want to be the guest of your house. Remember, it's acceptance. Jesus, you got to know this when you read the Gospels. We try to sterilize Jesus, and at least I do, and keep him nice and safe, you know. Jesus is always pushing the borders of his mercy. This was scandalous. Scandalous. I'm praying for myself, and it goes great with what we sang of getting out of the boat into the waves and what was spoken over us, that we would push the borders of our mercy too. To the point where the religious people start to talk. Maybe that's the benchmark of successful ministry. How scandalous? I've got an image that might disturb. It disturbs me. The iconic image of the disgusting racism that took place in Charlottesville. Now imagine Jesus coming into the crowd, and you can't see it, but there's a guy holding a white uh, sign and a Confederate flag, and on that white sign are scripture passages justifying in his mind his racism. Now look, our gospel is always about going to the disempowered and to the disenfranchised and to the margins, the poor, the needy, what have you. That guy's fully in power in this story, in the protest. Imagine behind and in his mind, he's hiding something that no one else knows. I wonder what it'd be like as he hears about Jesus walking down. I wonder what it'd be like to be in relationship with him. I actually don't like what I do. I'm tired of being a bigot, a racist. I'm tired of being hate-filled and mean. I want to value people. And imagine Jesus going right up to the sign and saying to that guy, hey, you. Or to the guy to the right with the Ku Klux Klan hat on, hey, you. I want to go have a slumber party at your house tonight. He passes up everyone else on the margins, everyone being affected by those people's racism, and goes right to the power and says, let's have a relationship. I accept you in all your racism, in all your hatred. I don't endorse it. But the only way to get rid of it is that we have a relationship and I change you from the inside out. Now do you see how scandalous this was? Verse 8, Zacchaeus stood up and he said, Look, Lord, now he's under a new authority. Here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. If I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay them back four times the amount. Commentators are great with this. They say there's a certain playfulness in this with Zacchaeus. Almost as if saying, look, Dad, look, here you go. Here's half my possessions to the poor. It's not like he's kicking the dirt going, dang, I'm going to be poor. He's like, I can't wait to get rid of this stuff. He's a new man from the inside out. It's awesome. He has giddy generosity. Jesus says to him, verse 9, today salvation has come to this house. Let's just pause. It's just the opposite of religion. Religion would say, you come to us on our terms. We got three services. We're about to have a fourth. You want to get saved? You come on our terms because this is your spot. You clean up your act. You clean up your language. You clean up and take a shower. 
You dress nice, then you can come on our campus, and maybe then we'll tell you about Jesus. That's not the Jesus way. Jesus is saying, no, 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 salvation comes to you on your terms, in your place. Spots are all over this place. If we would embrace the heart of God and follow Jesus into some messy places. Because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. In other words, he just paid him the highest compliment of the day for religion. To be a son of Abraham, it doesn't get any better than that. He has gone from the worst of the worst to the best of the best, spiritually speaking. In a word, in a phrase, what Tabitha used, he's a new creation. He's born again. And then Jesus says it again, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. In other words, my whole mission is to initiate relationships with people like him. Lost people who don't know God. And I want to show them in heaven's eyes, they're not lost. Sorry, they're not forgotten. They're lost. But I know right where they are. I sure wish I could stop time and just let us sit in this because this church will live or die on this very conviction in our future. And no rhetorical skill, of which I don't have a lot, will turn your life or change your priorities. I'm banking everything on the Spirit of God to do that in my life and in yours. And that's where this comes in. Uh, Really quickly, this is our initiative for the next forever. I don't know when we stop doing this, but how are we going to go cross some borders and boundaries and minister to people? We're going to bless them. We're going to begin with prayer. We're going to listen with care. We're going to eat together, share meals with people that we may not like and get to know them. We're going to serve people in love, and then we're going to share our story. I want you this week to hang out in the first B. I want you to read the whole thing. That's your homework, okay? Read the whole thing. Come back next week. On the back page, there's a, a, a prayer tool for you. First names of people that you want to pray come to know God, who are lost, to come to know Jesus, to turn from themselves to him. Um, We want you, I don't want you to fill this out now, I want you to sit in this and pray and ask God, who is it you want to use my life to influence? And then we want to invite you to turn these back. I'm asking God for 5,000 names from this church that we could be praying for to come to know Christ. And then if it would help you when you leave here today, that you can have, we have magnets that are created, love everyone always. Can I tell you the backstory and um, worship band, you can just start coming up if you want uh, to, to close this thing. And I'll tell you the backstory. You know what I wanted? I didn't want magnets originally. You know what I wanted? I wanted lawn signs. I wanted, I wanted billboards. I wanted to make a statement that as a church in a world filled of hate, We're people who love. But as we talked about as a staff, we thought, you know what? Maybe before we get to the lawn signs and the placards and make the statement out there, maybe we could just practice in here what that means. Maybe we can just do a magnet to put on your computer or on your refrigerator just as a reminder, in-house, I got to love. And we'll let ourselves be the billboard and the lawn sign and the placard to a world in hate. So sit in that this week, the bless, sit in these passages. We'll close with the song.
and then we'll come back. Amen? Listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We're located at 3560 Farm Hill Boulevard in Redwood City, California. You can reach us online at www.peninsulacovenant.com.